Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Matthew Heinemann's new documentary, City of Ghosts. The film goes behind enemy lines in Syria to follow the efforts of Raqqa is being slaughtered silently, a citizen journalist collective who banded together after their homeland was taken over by ISIS in 2014. They risk their lives as they attempt to expose the human rights violations by ISIS and fight the terrorist group's misinformation campaigns in a new battlefront over ideas and a fight for hearts and minds via clicks and views. City of Ghosts was screened as part of the DGA's documentary series, which aims to spotlight groundbreaking nonfiction films for DGA members and guests by presenting screenings of documentaries as well as conversations with their directors. In addition to City of Ghosts, Mr. Heinemann's filmography includes the documentary feature Escape Fire, The Fight to Rescue American Healthcare. His 2015 documentary, Cartel Land, garnered him a DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Documentary, a Primetime Emmy Award, and an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. After the documentary series screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Heinemann spoke with fellow director Chuck Workman about making City of Ghosts. During their conversation, Mr. Heinemann discusses the precautions he took to ensure the locations of his subjects were never revealed, his process in deciding whether or not to show the graphic violence ISIS has been responsible for, and how trust was a crucial factor in his ability to tell the stories of journalists. Um, this is, a, a, as I said, a, a pretty intense film. And uh, there are some hard questions I wanted to ask, but I'll, I'll ask for an easy one first. How did you find these guys and, and this whole group? First off, you know, thank you guys all for coming and for being here and to the DJ for hosting. Um, I was traveling around with my last film, Cartel Land, and ISIS was sort of becoming front page news and I was reading obsessively about what was happening and trying to find an angle into the, into the film, into the story. Um, and I read this New Yorker piece by David Remnick about this group, Rock is Being Slaughtered Silently. And just right when I read it, I knew that this was my, my way into the story and I reached out to the guys and I think either that night or the next night I, I was able to make contact with them and then a week later I started filming. So, and um, one of the things in, in a documentary that that we always run into, and uh, it, it, people that don't make documentaries don't get it, is how hard this it is to get access. So, did you just call them up and say, "Hey, want let's make a movie, and I'll shoot it for you"? I mean, how did all that happen um, as easily? I know in cartel uh, cartel land, it was it was tricky for you. Was this did you know people that knew them, or did you did you contact them? Is it is it was it a secret on how you got a hold of them? No, 
Um, it, it, you know, it's pretty simple. I, I reached out to the Committee to Protect Journalists, um, which is the organization that gave them the award. Um, you know, they had helped me out with with Cartel in a little bit, and uh, so we had a you know mutual friend that introduced us. But for me, you know, it's always about trust. It's always about that personal relationship, and so just spending a few hours with them and, and sitting across the table from them and having a meal with them and. Um, this was in New York. Uh, it was in DC. In, in DC, okay. yeah. Um, two of them happened to be in the states, and you know, I told them, "Look, I want to go on this journey with you. I want to film you over the next year. I want to film members of your group. Um, you know, are you open to it?" And uh, you know, at that very early stage, I had no idea exactly what the film would be, but I thought the film would be, at least part of it, would be this exodus from Syria to Turkey and Turkey to Europe. Um, and so I knew that that was sort of my basic through line. And anyway, so that they, I told them what I wanted to do in general, and, and they thought about it for a few days and then called me back. I think they, they watched Cartel Land, and then they said, yeah, let's, let's do this. So. And then what was the next step? Then you went back to Syria with them? or, or So I, I, never, I never stepped foot in Syria. Um, if, if there are places in Syria that are safe to go to, um, Raqqa, where they're from, is not one of them. Um, I would be killed uh, instantly if I went there, so I chose not to go. Um, and you know, thankfully, obviously, this this group has an amazing treasure of, of footage that they've filmed that they continue to film from inside inside the caliphate, inside the capital of ISIS. And you know, if it wasn't for RBSS, if it wasn't for this group. We would have no idea what's happening within within Raqqa. Um, it's completely blacked out from the rest of the world, um, and so, you know, they paid the ultimate price for for standing up and exposing this horrific evil that is now permeated through the rest of the world, um, and obviously, most recently in in Manchester. Right. Uh, so they, um, but you caught up with them. And you shot them in, in Turkey or you shot them in Germany? Yeah, I, I, I picked up with them right across the border in, in Turkey um, and followed them uh, again on this on this sort of exodus uh, ultimately to, to Europe. I had no idea, and, and that's part of why I, I love making docs and I love doing this, is that, you know, being open to the story changing, being open to, to the world around you um, shifting, um, you know, I, I once heard Al Maisel say that if you end up with the story you started with, then you weren't listening along the way. And I think that's good advice for life, and I think that's, that's good advice for filmmaking, and something that I hold true to my heart every single day. Um, you know, I, for me, the film ultimately became a story of, of um, a sort of finding oneself in a new land. It became an immigrant story. It became a story of um, trauma and the cumulative effects of trauma and um, about a story about rising nationalism in Europe. It became many, many other things that, you know, if, if that first meeting in D.C., if you said I was going to film a neo-Nazi rally in, in the streets of Berlin, I would have been like, that makes no sense with this film. But somehow it did. It, it totally did. In fact, I don't know if the audience had the same impression that I did, but when you get to that scene, you say, oh, I forgot about that. They hate those people, you know, uh, uh, and it it suddenly added a, a totally new element to the to the to what you were thinking about because up until that point, um, 
you assume that everybody would be behind them, and then suddenly there's this, all, the, all the Germans that, uh, for their own reasons, uh, uh, don't want them there. Uh, and so were there any, any, could you, do you remember any of these changes that you're talking about where you kind of had to swing with the film a little bit and kind of change your ideas? Places that you didn't expect to go to, and yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I think I just mentioned a few of them. I, you know, there's many, many moments. Um, I think the, you know, as you know, obviously, and, and so many people in this room know, you know, one of the hardest parts about a doc is when to stop. Well, you don't you just stop; you never finish. But you just stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to stop in some way, right? Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's money, and sometimes it's, you know, life events or other things, and. For me, that final scene with Aziz, um, where he's shaking and, and um, that very intimate scene, for me, that I knew that once I got that scene that, that, that I, I basically had the film that I wanted. Um, I'd sort of broken through, not, not a barrier that was between us, but, but I, f I th feel like I f the, the veneer, the stoicism that he carried with him um, was no longer there. And you know, for me, it was, it was impossible to imagine that these guys, who had been through much, been through more than any of us could truly imagine, um, arrested by the regime, the the Assad regime, um, tortured by the Assad regime, tortured by ISIS, arrested by ISIS, family members killed by ISIS, friends killed by ISIS, um, family members still in ISIS control, and that this didn't have an effect on them. And so, for me, that scene represented this this sort of emotion that was stuck inside them that that they rarely show to anybody. Um, and you know, it was a very important scene, and, and also a very difficult scene to film as a human being. As a human being, all I wanted to do was step, you know, put my camera down and, and give him a hug. Um, but you know, my job obviously was to to capture that moment. And you felt emotionally pulled into the same way uh, in the making of the film, right? I mean, you, you felt, uh, well, tell me how you felt. <laughs> Insofar in as... And what, how, I mean, did you start to worry about them, for instance, and, and uh, worry about the issues, or, or were you busy making the film? I, I don't mean you were coldly making the film, but were you... So were, did you get involved in, in, in the emotions that they were involved in, that they were having? Of course. I mean, I have a heart that hopefully beats every now and then. Um, so you staged that whole baby scene, right? I mean, that was something that you I, had I, them do. I found a, a baby and put him oh, in the room. And that's what we, we, we no, assume that. No, I, I you know, um, I mean, this is a much different film than my last film, Cartelian. Cartelian was, I was spending a year of my life with people on some spectrum of good to bad to very bad. Um, and, and these guys, um, you know, I, I have enormous amount of respect for and I, and I care deeply about them. You know, it's still in the sort of subject director relationship, but I still, um, you know, feel for these guys and, and, and care for them as human beings. So, you know, n there's no doubt that especially after spending, I don't know, I think I spent about nine or 10 months with them that you you develop a deep bond and a deep trust and you know that again that final scene never would have happened obviously if i just knocked on aziz's door and said you know can i film you for a day i mean that 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 scene was born out of nine months of trust building 
you know, and Cartel Land was like that too. If you've never seen Cartel Land, it's it's quite something. Uh, uh, he films a, a, a meth lab that that doesn't look like Breaking Bad at all. I mean, it's all in the dark. It's uh, kind of three or four thugs in a big pot, and uh, was probably scary as hell to shoot. You know, uh, so um, you know, you said that your mother wanted you to make a happy film next time. Uh, <laughs> Well, in a safer place, let's see. Uh, I hope you do. All right, I wanted to get to the one question I had uh, that I that I brought up earlier, and then we'll open it to the audience. But uh, there are so many executions and deaths in the film, and it it's almost becomes uh, a metaphor, in a way, for what's happening. It's not, but yet, when we see it in a film, we, we especially in the documentary, we kind of believe it. We... we, we we say, wait a minute, that's really happening, that's really truthful. And until ISIS, I think, started to release all this material, one never saw the, the, all, these, all these things. You would see them, you know, and, and it would be partially blacked out or partially grayed out. Did you ever think about how you were going to use, for instance, you cut away, the first time you cut away from, uh, I think it was the father who was going to be killed, uh, and, uh, but then you didn't cut away after that for quite a bit. I mean, what was your th process in terms of, of, of using that? Um, it was difficult. You know, I, uh, we, in the editing process, we joined a number of sort of secret ISIS channels, um, encrypted channels, through which they disseminate a lot of these, this footage and these videos. Um, we don't want to hear anything secret. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we had hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage um, that we combed through. Uh, very, very disturbing footage. Um, and so for us, you know, I always knew that would be part of the film. And, and I think it was always sort of a, a throttle of, of how much to push and pull in terms of how much to show or not show. And I think for me, it would not have done justice to the fear and the terror that these guys live with every single day to not show it, to shy away from it. Um, at the same time, we didn't want people running out of theaters and um, being disgusted. And so I, you know, we tried to find a balance between those, those two things. Well, this goes back to Night and Fog and to the concentration camp films that were made in in the 40s and even now, that, that until those things were shown, nobody even thought that they were really happening until they saw them on film. Uh, so uh, it's interesting that, that we see this very, very graphic things now. And it, and it did have tremendous impact on me when I saw it, and I assume on the audience as well. Uh, so I think that took a lot of courage, actually, to put that in there. And uh, um, it, 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 it also took the high road in a funny way. I mean, it, it didn't look exploited to me in any way. Uh, it looked right. And I don't know if you guys feel that way or not. But uh, let's see if we have any questions out here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really like to talk about myself, honestly, because the, the amount of danger that these guys are in or is so exponentially higher than the danger that I, I mean, you know, I'm going to go home to a hotel tonight um, in the safety of Los Angeles and they still have friends and family members who are waking up or going to bed at night not knowing whether they're going to wake up 
and so the danger that they're in uh, outside of Raqqa, um, the the weekly or daily death threats that they receive, uh, and all their family members and all their colleagues who are still inside Raqqa, they're the ones that are truly in danger. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, safety was paramount at every single step of the process, and and before we started filming. Uh, which wasn't that long period. Um, throughout filming, throughout post-production process, um, we were extraordinarily careful with how we communicated, how we communicated with them. You know, always, uh, always, you know, speaking through uh, encrypted uh, devices. Uh, how we communicated amongst ourselves. Um, how we filmed, where we filmed, what we did with the footage, how we stored the footage. Um, how we continue to store the footage. So, you know, every step along the way, we were extremely careful in putting their safety um, front and center at all times. Um, very, very small. Mo the stuff that's not shot in Syria, which is shot by the group, um, often is just me alone filming. Um, you know, for me, I, I like being alone, not as a human being, but. Um, <laughs> Sometimes, I guess. Maybe. But, um, but when I'm filming, you know, I feel like that's when you get your most intimate stuff is, is when you don't, you know, I don't like working with sound. I, I like sound people. Um, but I, I, I like doing my own sound. I like just being being there alone. Like that scene, again, that last scene and, and other scenes like that in the film, you know, if you had lights and you had, a, you know, a boom hanging in like that, you just can't get footage like that. And so for me, I just like becoming part of the daily fabric of life. Uh, with the people that I film with. Thank you. Good. Tell everybody it opens in April. It opens in uh, when does it open? July. July fourteenth in July. Did you uh, use the camera mic then? Uh, a combination of camera mic and and, and lovelyers. Oh, yeah. and of course, lovelyers. Okay. Okay. What do we have right here? Um. I, I love for people, you know, I, I think people make films for different reasons and, and there's different types of films and different types of filmmakers and there's different ways of making films and that's one of the beauties of documentary film is it's such a malleable form. Um, for me, you know, I want, if people want to see the film and interpret the film and use the film in different ways, that's that's wonderful. You know, I think um, I'm, I didn't make this film to push a certain piece of legislation or, or a certain agenda. I, I, I made this film to put a human face to this uh, issue. Um, you know, I think Syria, ISIS, these are things that are foreign. These are things that are relegated to headlines and photos and stats and numbers. And for me, I wanted to put a you know, beating heart and a face to these issues. So, so maybe you'll go home tonight and you'll think differently about Syria. Maybe you, you'll think about Aziz. Maybe you'll think about this group. Maybe you'll think about their family members. Um, and I don't know, maybe you'll do something about that. Um, that's up to you, I guess. In terms of the geopolitics of it all, it's so complicated. I mean, there's no silver bullet. It's a proxy war between Iraq, excuse me, uh, Iran, Syria, Turkey, Russia, the US, the Kurds. Um, it's a civil, a long-standing civil war between Assad, um, in different rebel groups. Uh, it's, it's a vacuum of power that ISIS and other extremists have, have filled. Um, there's no silver bullet. You know, as much as we as Americans always want a silver bullet, there's no silver bullet here. 
Could everyone hear the question? Yeah, the question is, uh, <laughs> what do you do in post to, uh, well, like sort of keep the safety of, of the of the of the uh, Raqqa group and yeah, and uh, other precautions. There's definitely some uh, some smoke and mirrors in terms of in the editing process um, to ensure their safety, not not to be deceptive, but to to make sure that we weren't, uh, you know, that that these establishing shots or other shots could be used against them. Um, we often used establishing shots in different places um, that were away from where they were. Um, we never listed the city. I mean, obviously, there's shots that are clearly Berlin, um, but you know, we were very careful not to show exactly where these guys were. Um, and you know, w as part of the agreement of making this film with the guys, I, I gave them the ability to to review the film, not for creative. Um, consultation, if you will, but for security consultation to make sure that there wasn't anything that we might have inadvertently added that might put them in danger. And so there were a few things that we actually inadvertently had in the film that we removed or changed or altered to ensure their safety. But the fact is, these guys have a bullseye on the back of their head. And this film will very much increase that, that risk profile for all of them. And this is something that they all know, that they all have come to terms with, and that they all um, knew farewell as you know during the process of making the film that this this would you know majorly increase their the danger that they're in. But I think they wanted um, in taking part in this film to sort of come out behind the veneer of social media, behind the veneer of of um, the anonymity that social media and, and the, the web provides and to show that they're real people, um, that they're real people with, with, who are friends, who, are, who, who laugh like us, who care like us, that they're moderate Muslim men. Um, and you know, this is important for them to, to come out of the shadows as they say in the film. So, um, but it, you know, hopefully nothing will happen. They came to Sundance though, right? The uh, some of them were able to come to Sundance, yeah, That's and it's extremely moving to have them there. Okay, one more question, if we have one. If not, yeah, right in the middle. So the f the film premiered at, at Sundance in January. Um, we were editing uh, up until a few days before, um, and I think we were shooting up until in, in through December. So, um, and we're in May now. Um, the this the Operations of the group remains the same. There's still the group on the outside, the group that you met in the film. There's still the group on the inside who are still reporting uh, daily, who are still providing information uh, for the group on the outside to then disseminate to the world. Um, the geopolitical situation has changed in, in Raqqa. Um, the, the coalition um, that is partially involving US troops and US intelligence has surrounded Raqqa. Um, the the Syrian Democratic Forces, which is a combination of different militias and, and groups that we've armed, um, are poised to enter Raqqa in the same way that we've entered Mosul, um, and most likely over the next you know one, two, three, four, five, six, eight months, we don't know, um, there'll be a prolonged battle in the last bastion of ISIS um, as we know it. Um, in, in the capital of, of, of the Islamic State. 
Um, and, and as always in this situation, we'll continue to bomb and the only real losers in the situation are the citizens of Raqqa who are stuck in the middle. Um, I think what Aziz says is so important uh, at the end of the film, which is that it doesn't matter how many bombs you drop on, on Raqqa, it doesn't matter how many bombs you drop on ISIS. Um, what we're really fighting here is the ideology of ISIS. And this ideology lives in the children that you see in the film. This ideology lives in the man who blew himself up in Manchester three days ago or four days ago. Um, and this ideology is spread throughout the world. And so we have to learn and figure out how to fight this ideology if we truly want to win this battle. Okay, thank, thanks, Matt, for making the film. Appreciate it. Thank you so and, much. And thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. You can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org slash podcast. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.